0: Reading today is one Samuel chapters twenty one and twenty two. One Samuel chapters twenty one and twenty two. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, "Why are you alone? Why is no one with you?" David answered Ahimelech the priest the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed women have been kept from us as usual whenever i set out the men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy how much more so today so the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away now one of saul's servants was there that day detained before the lord He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the Valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adilam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered round him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herod. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered and Saul was seated spear in hand under the Tamarist tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing at his side. He said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, none of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. But Doeg the Edomite who was standing with Saul's official said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, "Listen now, son of Ahitub." "Yes, my lord," he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, a king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword, Nob, the town of the priests with its men and women, its children and infants and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeb the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You'll be safe with me.
1: Shanna, thanks very much indeed for reading that. It's fantastic to see you. Welcome if you're joining us online. Great to see you there. Welcome to, if you've joined us here, at St. Mark's. It's great to see a few people coming back from lockdown for the first time. And uh, it's exciting to be together around God's Word. Um, I know that in a city like this, in a city like London, there are a million and one things that you could be doing instead of being here in church. But you've chosen to sit under God's Word. And the Bible would say that is a wise way to use your time. So let's pray that we'll engage with God's Word to the maximum as we spend this time together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you're here. You're right here with us and you're not a silent God. Uh, You'd love to speak to us. And you've got things to say to us on every single page of the Bible. And so I pray that we would uh, really take notice of what you're saying this afternoon and, and that even by the time we come to walk out of this building that by your mercy and by your grace that we would be changed people and we ask these things in your name amen okay let's um let's start with a um, with a thought experiment i'm going to ask you to make an imaginary decision okay I'm going to ask you to make an imaginary decision. You've got, to, you've got to imagine for a second that you're living in Israel, and it's um, what, just um, maybe 1015 BC or something like that. And uh, Saul's, been, Saul's been king for a while, and life's by half for you. And uh, you hear a rumor that uh, there's a new king called David, and he's, and he's hiding out in a cave. And you also hear that apparently he's the new king that God's chosen and that, and that God is on his side and uh, a few people are going to join him. Do you go? Are you going to go? Do you take the risk? I mean, you do have to be quite convinced, don't you? You have to be quite convinced. Ah, uh, before you pick up your rucksack and uh, and and you head up the mountains, uh, you need to be certain that he's the one. You need to know that the future belongs to him, that God's on his side. And to be honest, from what Charlotte just read to us in uh, chapters twenty-one and twenty-two, you might not be hugely convinced because there are there are precious few signs of success uh, for this um, this new king. Do you follow him? Would you do that? Well, these two chapters say, yes, do it, okay? Because, because once you've found the king that has God on their side, however unlikely he seems, then he's the one who's going to keep you safe. Okay, let me say that again. Once you've found the king that has God on his side, God's back with him, he's backing him up, then however unlikely he looks, he is the one who's going to keep you safe. Now let's be clear, it's not 1000 BC. I'm, I'm not asking you to, to pack up your Four Seasons sleeping bag and, and head up a mountain to the cave of Adullam. Although it is a real cave that you can genuinely go to if, if you want to. But the thing is that every day, you and I, every single person in this room has a decision to make. We've got to make decisions. Uh, because God is, God still has a living, chosen king. He's all very much alive, and his name's Jesus. And every single one of us, day by day, has to make an estimation about whether he's the right one. And, and we have to decide whether we're gonna go to him or not. That's a real decision. Yeah, in our in our thinking, or in our prayers, or in our ambitions, our life decisions, in all of our guilt and all our questions and our fears. You know, are we gonna to go to him? we Are gonna take those things to him? Or are we gonna try and deal with them ourselves? I mean, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're still thinking that'd be an interesting thing to do. Well, keep tuned in because we're gonna find out lots of things about this Jesus. We're gonna to have to make a decision about him. Because once you've found the king that has God on his side, however unlikely he seems, he is going to be the one who's going to keep you safe. Yeah? That's the point. Well, let's come back to chapters 21 and 22 of 1 Samuel then. And I, w- I want to show you some of the details from the text. I want to show you how this part of the Bible makes that, makes that point. And we've got two main headings as we come to chapters 21 and 22. They're both going to come up on the screen. The first one's this. The Lord provides for his isolated king. That's the first thing that shows us that he really is the king that God's chosen because the Lord is just providing for him time and time again. The Lord provides for his isolated king. And let me just remind you how we, it's been, it's been a while isn't it? Um, since we started 1 Samuel, let, let me remind you how we got here in the book of 1 Samuel. We've been on a search for a king, okay, ever, ever since Hannah, uh, she's this um, oh, struggling um, woman who's infertile, she's longing to have a baby, and she prays, she prays a prayer. And in chapter two, she starts to mention this chosen anointed king. And, and, and ever fr- I mean, from that point onwards, we're looking in the book of 1 Samuel for when this chosen king's gonna turn up. And when David walks onto the seed in chapter 16, we sort of suspect that he's gonna be the one, okay? Because he's described as the man after God's own heart. Saul's been rejected as king, David comes center stage, and he is the man after God's own heart. But test one of leadership is popularity, yeah? People say that, they say, if you think you might be a leader, look around and see if anyone's following you. And, um, and since he was discovered, people have just been leaving David in, in their droves. So Samuel anoints him, and then Michael marries him, and then Jonathan makes a covenant with him. That's what we saw um, in the last chapter, chapter 20. By the start of chapter 21, there is no Samuel, there's no Michael, there's no Jonathan, there's no nobody. And he turns up in uh, chapter 21 homeless and friendless. And and he's just completely isolated, totally on his own. But the Lord's going to provide for him. So in verses 1 to 6, notice how, how he is starving but he's fed at the Lord's table. That's the amazing thing, he's starving, but he's fed from the Lord's table. Um, Look at him in in verses one to six of chapter 21, if you've got that on your phone, or uh, uh, or maybe you've got a Bible with you. Have a look at those verses, chapter 21, verses one to six. Let me just read the first bit, okay, to remind you where we began. David went to Nob, to uh, to Ahimelech, the priest, Ahimelech trembled when he met him. He probably realizes that David turning up isn't going to be massively good news. And he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Fair question. David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one has to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on, it's top secret. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place, supposedly, Verse 3, now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. You probably noticed that David doesn't 100% stick to the truth at this point. Um, it, it looks like he's trying to protect like the priest. We know he's going to be interrogated in the next chapter, so he was probably right. In the same way that when the Nazis come to the door, you don't tell them about the Jews that you've got upstairs. Okay? Well, the text doesn't say very much about that. Here's the point, that when he turns up starving, like a you know like a teenager coming back from coming back from school, give me anything you can find. Verse three, that's fairly typical for a teenager coming back from school. He's fed from the Lord's table. Verse six, he eats God's bread. Um, that interested Jesus anyway. He refers to this very verse in mark's gospel when when the king is starving when when the, when the chosen king is starving he's fed from god's table and when he's defenseless he's given the very best and we get to see more desperate in verses seven to ten Um, David's supposed to be on a a special ops operation. He's supposed to be on a sort of undercover military campaign. But weirdly, he's forgotten his sword. And um, it's a bit like the SAS turning up in Basra, jeans and a t shirt, and saying, um, anyone else lend us any uniform? Anyone got a helmet? Those shooty, whatever you call them? Got one of those. Um, It's quite desperate. But what is he given? He's given the best sword that money can buy. Does he want Goliath's sword? End of verse nine. There is none like it. Give it to me. He's defenseless, but he's given the best. And then when he's trapped, he's set free by God. Things get even more desperate in the next next section. Uh, You can see in verse 10, he's, um, he's gone off to Gath. He's gone off to Gath. Again, Gath is one, of the, um, is one of the five cities of the Philistines. And um, David is famous for just one thing. I mean, I don't know what you're famous for. Some people are famous for playing the violin or doing cartwheels or being good at maths. David is famous for killing Philistines. Okay, that is his special power okay that's what he's particularly good at it's his specialist subject he practically eats philistines for breakfast okay there are songs about it and in fact he was particularly good at killing one philistine called goliath who comes from gath and david's walking into his hometown and he's carrying goliath's sword everyone in Gath would have had a a brother or an uncle or a dad or a granddad who'd been killed by David basically and and when they start singing the song David is so scared he has to pretend that he's he's got a mental illness Um, he's he's trapped in in verse 13 where it says in their presence it means literally in their hands which sort of suggests that they've captured him and um, They've arrested him, but he he manages to escape. He's trapped, but he's set free by God. Set free by God? Um, it doesn't it doesn't exactly say that, but that's David's reflection anyway. Just in case you were wondering, what's happened? That's David's reflection when he writes the Psalms. I don't know if you're in a you know if uh, if you watch box sets. Um, We just watched um, Bloodlands, I don't know whether whether you've seen that. But there's end of episode two, I don't want to give anything away. End of episode two, Dawn and I watching it. I press the pause button. What just happened? There's this this dramatic moment, okay. I'm always doing that when we're watching boxers. It must be fabulously irritating. What just happened? And the Dawn has to explain to me, you you know, why the plot's gone the way that it does. David has time to reflect as he, as he walks away from Gath about what just happened. And he doesn't say, man, that was a close shave. Uh, and he doesn't say, um, method acting wins the day. Uh, he doesn't say, let me tell you a funny story about Achish. And he's, he's, he's running down the road from Gath and he's, he's wiping the you know, saliva off his beard And he writes Psalm 56. Have a look at Psalm 56 up on the screen. Psalm 56. The title, I haven't put the title there, but the title says, When the Philistines had seized him in Gath by David. When the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Let's join him in verse 10. This is his reflection on what just happened. In God, whose word I praise, In the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. He was trapped, but he was set free by God. And why do we need to know all this? Because the the bread and, and and the sword and and the escape plan are all clues. They're all tokens of something. And weirdly, it's saying that the Philistines get get right in um, in verse eleven. Did you notice that? Um, they ask, "Isn't this David?" The king of the land, the king of the land. They've, they've got something right. However unlikely that looks, David is God's king, and he has God's a hundred percent backing. Now this this isn't this isn't mainly saying that when we're desperate, God's going to uh, give us a plan. Although sometimes that is amazingly true, and and, and I can look back in my. Life. I guess you can look back in your life and think of times when that happens. It's saying that God's king has his 100% backing when he needs it. That's the point. And it's interesting, isn't it, that about a third of the book of 1 Samuel, about a third of the book is about David being persecuted and on the run. And about a a third of, of the Gospel accounts, if you average it out, about a third of the Gospel accounts has Jesus in Jerusalem and he's on trial and he's hanging on a cross and he's placed in the tomb, isolated, on his own, completely deserted by his friends. Isolated but provided for, yeah? Provided for. And the idea is it's sort of giving us a window into the relationship between God and the king that he chooses. And we see that God backs his king 100%. So when we see a king who's been backed by God like that, we need to ask ourselves, are we going to go to him? Are we going to go to him? You know that... um, if you think about your friends and your colleagues or your friends at school or, or, or stuff like that, they, generally speaking, they have some agreed ideas, some sort of key ideas that they, that they will agree on, some common values. And in our country, they tend to come from a mixture of sources, um, some things from our country's Christian past and, and some things that come from things that philosophers have said and, and some things that are just convenient to believe. But Jesus is very unlikely to feature in that mixture of ideas. He won't feature. And, and so you are gonna have to go to him in your own thinking and, and in your own plans. In You're gonna have to read the Bible to find out what he's like. And you're gonna have to put 10 minutes in your diary to pray to him. You're gonna have to come to him. You know, if God is behind him, then he is the one you need to go to. You know, whether we're struggling with our feelings or whether we're haunted by the past or unsure, unsure of our plans, or we don't like the person we've become. He is the one to go to because he's God's provided for king and the one God backs 100% and the future is his. And, and he's been identified, however unlikely it looks, as the one who has God on his side. And so. We go to him, we pledge loyalty to him. He's the one that we go to, to find safety. And that's the second point. This is the heading that we are given it. We find that the king protects his desperate followers. The king protects his desperate followers. Let's go to chapter 22 and, and pick up the action. Um, at the cave of Adullam okay chapter 22 let me read verses 1 to 5 again David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam when his brothers and his father's household heard about it they went down to him there all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander about 400 men were with him From there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herath. But even in his desperation, you see, can you see how, um, how David's instinct is to care for other people? You see that? So what, what role does he play in chapter 22? Well, firstly, he's commander-in-chief to the wretched. Okay, that's his role. He's commander-in-chief to the wretched. All those who are in distress, verse 2, are in debt or discontented, come to him and join him. About 400 people. Can you imagine the postman turning up at the cave of Adala? Can you imagine you know, the kind of things you're bringing them? You know, what have you got for us today, Mr. Postman? Oh, um, three summonses, four arrest warrants, a couple of red bills, and a whole load of stuff from the bailiffs. That's, um oh right, okay, um, bring it in. David is, is commander-in-chief to the wretched. He became their commander. And that's the church That's the church The company of the wretched There are people who know That we've got nothing to You know, no bargaining checks Before God, we're bankrupts, And we come to Him Just to ask for mercy I'd love, I'd, I'd love you to You know, to feel that As you listen to the last song You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's what we sing. God's king is commander-in-chief to the wretched. Secondly, he is protector to his family. So David's family are under threat from Saul. He's definitely not above bumping off David's family or threatening them. And so they run to him. And David needs to find a safe place for them to stay. Um, and in the way that God does these things, um, uh, He ensured that over a hundred years previously, um, that, that David's great grandmother was someone called Ruth, who was a Moabite ass. And I guess that was useful to David as he goes and bangs on the door of the king of Moab. End of verse 3, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you? And the king of man says, okay. Like Jesus when he's dying, do you remember? Asking the apostle John to look after Mary, his mother. And it says that John took her into his own home. Cares for his family. That's not all you get to expect from this king, though. Because um, he's the supplier of safety to the fugitive. He supplies safety to the fugitive. And that's the surprise of verse 5. So David has gathered some people. um, I don't know if it's promising, but they're in in this cave in Adullam. And then the prophet Gad comes up to him. It's always interesting, isn't it, to see who God is speaking to and directing um, in the Bible. He's not speaking to Saul. He hasn't spoken to Saul for... For a number of chapters, he's speaking to to David. David is the one he's guiding and uh, and blessing with his words. But um, when the prophet Gad comes up to him, he says, you need to go back to Judah. Now, David must be thinking, Judah? But I found a place of safety um, uh, where I am. It's not the most comfortable cave that I've ever been in. But things are working, and, and you're asking me to go back to Judah, where Saul is with all of his spear throwing issues, and um and it's like walking into the jaws of the lion. Why would I want to do that, Gad? But the answer becomes clear. It's so that God can use him to provide safety for the fugitive. So all the events of chapter 22 unfold, and um, Saul has this sort of fit of paranoia and um, Doug the Edomite turns up and uh, says what he's seen about Ahimelech, Ahimelech gets called in about 10 times the integrity of King Saul, isn't he, as he stands before him and yet there's this terrible slaughter, this is bloodbath In verses 18 and 19. But one person escapes, and and God has brought David into the right place so that he is there to receive the fugitive. What mercy! What's King Saul's um, sort of catchphrase, verse 16? You shall surely die. What's King David's catchphrase? You will be safe with me. He's supplier of safety to the future. And you know, sometimes things can happen to us that that just leave us feeling very exposed, very sort of uh, unsafe. I guess. I mean, there's there's the big stuff. I mean, how how unsafe must you feel when you lose? both of your parents. Suddenly there's no one there to, to go back to, no one there to protect you and look after you, no one to give you advice. Um, you're always used to having them there as a sort of someone you can return to when you're in trouble, call them up. It feels very unsafe. This is some of the big stuff, isn't it? Like a, a bad diagnosis, you know, doctor phones you up sorry, Mr. Hobson, it's bad news. Or, um, pandemic suddenly you can't you know you, you can't do those things you're used to doing can't access some of your early relatives and uh, you find out that a partner's been unfaithful you know these are the really big things and suddenly you feel very very vulnerable but maybe it's harder to deal with the small stuff that just keeps on happening time and time again you know that when you know that people are gossiping about you at work or um there's some job insecurity or you got a bill that you didn't realize you had to pay and you can't really afford it or your flatmate moves out or a relationship breaks down and it just grinds you down you know the day after day you feel very unsafe you think how i don't know how i'm going to make it through this jesus will supply the safety that you need that's a promise jesus will supply the safety that you need Because Jesus went to a place of isolation and a place of of jeopardy on the cross and he walks into the jaws of the lion and they get to him, They, they succeed in killing him, but he died for our eternal safety if that's what we want, eternal safety, came as the king who had God on his side, who has God on his side. However unlikely it looked at the time. He looked bedraggled, he looked isolated. He was persecuted and hated. But the future belongs to him. And there will be a day, the Bible says, when, when people who've relied on themselves for, for safety, people who are saying peace and safety, will find that destruction comes on them very suddenly it's gonna be a terrible day but people who have come to jesus who who gathered to him knowing that they're the desperate and the wretched and the bankrupt can say this with the apostle paul and i'll finish these words from 2 timothy chapter 4 you'll see him on the screen it's what the apostle paul knew the lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that Jesus Christ, uh, though he was God himself, came to be a human king uh, not a king of an earthly kingdom, but a, a king of his heavenly kingdom. And um, thank you that you so clearly identified him as the one you were going to provide for. You provided him with all the power and all the strength. Uh, all that love, all of that words uh, that he needed you identified him as the king that you'd you would chosen you showed that you were backing him 100 percent, so that we would know who he was and thank you that as we come to him we don't need to be afraid that we'll be safe with him we say so, father I, I just pray that over the, the weeks and the and the months to come whether they're whether we whether they're big things that really unsettle us or just a small everyday grind that it just makes us feel vulnerable i pray father that in our plans and our thoughts with our guilt and our fears we'd be coming to your son jesus christ and finding safety with him and we ask these things in his name amen